Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show we pay tribute to the late African football legend Salif Keita of Mali. Also, we look at why the Confederation of African Football have cancelled their broadcast deal with Qatari broadcaster BN Sports. We're heading to Cameroon as Africa's highest-profile goalkeeper Andre Anana has returned to the indomitable Lions. But beyond the administrative efforts and political influence, fans had backed Onana, and each of his public appearances became an opportunity to lobby for his return to the indomitable Lions. Lots on Onana coming up shortly, lots too on the English Premier League with Stewart. But uh, first, in sad news, African football legend Salif Keita of Mali passed away last weekend in Bamako at the age of 76. Keita was the winner of the first ever African Footballer of the Year award uh, back in 1970. He played in France. He helped Mali to reach the final of the 1972 Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, he's not to be confused with the Malian singer of the same name. Well, not many of us got to watch uh, Salif Keita, but uh, he's one of those legendary names in African football history, Ida. Well, mystical is a word that's often been used with Keita. And you're right, Steve. There is Salif Keita, the golden voice of Africa, who is still very much alive. And Salif Keita, the footballer, who was also known as St. Etienne's Black Panther, who sadly died at 76. He first caught the continent's attention at the inaugural African Cup of Champions Clubs back in 1964, what is now the CAF Champions League. While he finished as top scorer, even though his team lost in the final, and he was top scorer again the following season. In 1965, he helped Mali get second place at the All-Africa Games, so his star was definitely shining, and Saint Etienne naturally came calling. Now, what we need to understand, Steve, is that the Saint Etienne then was a very different outfit from the current crop. This was one of France's best teams, and Keita hit the ground running. In total, he scored 125 goals in 149 games in an illustrious career at the club. St. Etienne won the league three consecutive years while he was there, did the double back-to-back, and won the equivalent of the Community Shield from 1967 through to 69. All this, Steve, of course, buoyed by Cater's impact. And even in the season when they lost the title, he managed to score 42 goals in 40 appearances. So well-respected was he that the club redesigned its logo to feature a Black Panther, Cater's nickname. And that stayed for 10 years on the emblem from 1968 through to 78. So, It's easy, Steve. It's so easy to see how all this led to him being named the first ever African footballer of the year in 1970. 
And he would act in a film, actually, <laughs> titled African Ballon d'Or, loosely inspired by his story, which came out in 1994. Now, he was already retired by then. After leaving St. Etienne, Keita joined Marseille. He then moved to Valencia in Spain. He went to Sporting Lisbon after in Portugal. And he ended his club career in the U.S., where it's said that he had formed quite a good friendship with Pele. For Mali, well, depending on which source you believe, Keita either scored 11 goals in 26 games or 13 goals in 28. <laughs> now, 11 is widely considered the official tally, and that makes him the country's eighth highest scorer in history, while the 13 goals puts him just one spot above that. Which is amazing, given that there were far fewer national team games back then. And uh, Salif Keita also went into football administration, Ida. In 1991, he spent a year as delegate minister in Mali's government. And in 2005, was elected as president of FEMAFOOT, the Malian FA. And that was a tenure until 2009. He also founded Mali's first football academy in the 90s that has since become a club. Steve, it's a shame really that the current generations might not really feel the full impact that Keita had because he was very much a pioneer in his own right. He was honored by the world governing body in 1996 with the FIFA Order of Merit. That made him the first African to receive such a distinction. And he also made the CAF Golden Jubilee list of the best 30 players where he ranked 25th. Impact on and off the pitch. A balanced life that saw him become a politician and a movie star on top of a footballer. Talk about a life well lived. Wow, yes. So African football legend Salif Keita of Mali passing away last weekend at the age of 76. And you can only imagine what he might have achieved if he had been playing in this era. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, the finances of the Confederation of African Football could be taking another knock as they've cancelled their broadcast deal with Qatari media group BN Sports. A CAF have told a BN that they're cancelling the 12-year contract, which has been running for six years and is worth $415 million. Uh, now, back in 2019, CAF cancelled their biggest contract ever, a $1 billion television and marketing rights deal with Lagardère Sports. CAF had to pay compensation of $50 million. Well, in the current case, CAF have accused BN Sports of a contractual breach and want to recover around $80 million that appear to be owed to them. Uh, a concerning one. What more do we know about this, Ida? So let's look at the basics of what each side is saying. CAF says that BN owes the Confederation money, around $80 million, as you've said. BN, on its part, says that it took quite the hit from CAF's disorganization and that part of what it should have been paying to the Confederation, well, that went into fixing some of these situations, you know, things like moving big tournaments around at short notice, like the Afghan because of bad weather, or from effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, when events were cancelled, like the Afghan in 2020. 
Now, while some of these were uncontrollable, like the pandemic, Bean says that while other football bodies shouldered the weight of some of these situations, when it happened to them, CAF didn't. Bean also says that it should receive a partial refund due to creation of the African Football League. Now, it's not immediately clear why, but perhaps because when this contract came into effect 12 years ago, the AFL wasn't even on the cards. So Bean is threatening to sue, but is open to a settlement. Some are saying that it could sue for anywhere between 50 to $90 million, which would be a deja vu situation with Lagadere. But Steve, what does all this mean for African football? Well, there are four major tournaments coming up. It's four months to the Afghan. The CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup both start soon in November. And there was lots of hype around the AFL, right? That's due to start in October, but matches we now know will be streamed live on the competition's website. Bien was credible. It's established. It was going out to more than 40 countries, including parts in Europe and America. Well, the CAF Executive Committee was set to meet on Thursday, but this is something that should have been done way earlier because as per CAF statutes, big financial decisions, you know, like cancelling such contracts is really something that should have been discussed by the body's exco before and not after the cancellation. Add to that a soiled reputation because between Lagadere and be in, well, it's not looking too good in Cairo right now. But CAF signed a five-year agreement with the Saudi Arabia Football Federation, and that did include some commercial prospects, so you never know what's cooking. Yeah, maybe something uh, is under wraps there, maybe. Uh, thanks, Ida. And just to say that the uh, CAF deal with Supersport for Sub-Saharan Africa is still on. Watching the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers here in Zimbabwe, uh, as are many football fans all across Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, but the BN Sports deal, which uh, saw games broadcast in North Africa and in the Middle East, was a much bigger one financially. Well, let's go to the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Uh, the last round of qualifiers for the uh, 2023 finals uh, are on up to next Tuesday. Uh, going into the games, there were nine places still to be decided, and Ghana and Angola took the first of them as Group E concluded on Thursday night. Uh, Ghana with a 2-1 win over the Central African Republic, uh, coming from behind for the victory, uh, first with a Mohamed Kudus free kick, and then getting the winner late on uh, with Ernest Nuama after really good work from Bournemouth's Antoine Semenyo. Uh, the result denied the Central African Republic a first-ever appearance at the Africa Cup of Nations. Angola drew nil-nil at home to Madagascar. That was enough to see them qualify from the group uh, along with Ghana. Uh, much more on the AFCON qualifiers on next week's show. Uh, still with the AFCON games, Africa's highest profile goalkeeper Andre Anana has confirmed his return to international football with Cameroon and is set to play in the qualifier against Burundi next Tuesday. Uh, the Manchester United goalkeeper was suspended by the Cameroon FA nine months ago for what they call disciplinary reasons, apparently after falling out with coach Rigobert Song. Anana announced his international retirement shortly after the incident. 
Well, I spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO in Yaoundé in Cameroon. I asked how much of a surprise Onana's return is. Well, Steve, it didn't come as a tremendous surprise. Now, it's important to mention that there's been a significant influence from both sports authorities and Cameroonian fans. You see, a few months after Onana announced his retirement from international football, Cameroon's sports minister, Narcisse Mouele Combi, on April 9, wrote to Inter Milan's president, requesting for the Italian giants to make Onana available for the national selection. Now, I have it on good account that the sports minister has on several occasions reached out to Onana, who is considered by many as Cameroon's best player at the moment, to convince him to return to the Indomitable Lions den. On May 23, FECAFOOT's Secretary General, Blaise Junang, wrote to Cameroon's sports minister seeking for help with the visa process for several players ahead of the Cameroon-Mexico friendly, and on the list that was forwarded, Andre Onana's name featured. However, Onana could not join the Lions because the Mexico friendly was played on June 11 in San Diego, USA, just a day after Onana starred in the Champions League final with Inter Milan. But beyond the administrative efforts and political influence, fans had backed Onana and each of his public appearances became an opportunity to lobby for his return to the Indomitable Lions. Towards the end of May, Onana flew to Cameroon to supervise a surgical campaign organized by his foundation for hundreds of underprivileged children aged below 18 in Yaoundé. Now, in one of the events, fans rallied around him, urging him to rescind his decision and to return in between the sticks for Cameroon. Now, another striking event was earlier in June, when Andronana was spotted at a holiday tournament in Ayos, which is in Cameroon's center region, where um, he addressed supporters and presented himself as a former keeper of the national team. Immediately, the fans revolted, insisting that he was the first choice of the national team, to the point where he, Onana, had to sit in and present himself as the keeper of the national team. You see, Steve, these and many more were pointers that Andre Onana was going to return to Cameroon's national football team. Wow, so a lot of pressure and emotion from the fans. And the initial issue seemed to be that Rigobert's song didn't like Onana's modern style of playing out from the back and using his feet a lot, and that Song wanted more of the old-school long balls. Uh, so how will this be resolved in GA? Steve, I'll be very honest. I doubt whatever misunderstanding that ensued between Rigobert's song and Andronana was due to his play style. It is clear that Onana has decided to um, embrace modernity and establish himself amongst a rare breed of elite keepers who play instinctively with both legs and can either start play or create goal-scoring chances for their teams with their ball distribution. The indomitable lions of Cameroon are in a sort of tight corner and must get at least a draw against Burundi to punch their ticket to next year's AFCON. Manchester City's head coach Pep Guardiola and even Cameroon's striker Vincent Abubakar have been full of praise for Onana's qualities and if he's been brought in, I reckon it is surely because Song intends to put to effective use the overall package that Onana brings to the team. By the way, Steve, on Tuesday when the Indomitable Lions had their first training session, 
at their base on the outskirts of Yaoundé, Andre Onana and Rigobertson were spotted having a lengthy exchange on the pitch. It is clear that most of Cameroon's attackers and wingers, such as Vensa Bubakar or Brian Bomo, are currently in scintillating fettle, and they will be counting on Onana to drop the balls directly to them in the final third, where they could be able to create serious goal-scoring chances. Uh, right, so there could be long balls and Anana may be playing differently with the indomitable Lions. Uh, and and yeah, Anana announced his return on social media. Part of his post said, uh, In recent months I've been confronted with ordeals marked by injustice and manipulation. Uh, what's he referring to exactly? Steve, I will be honest enough to say I've been unable to exchange with Onana at length about this subject. But one could easily extrapolate from the recent happenings to comprehend why he talks of injustice or manipulation. Now, after Onana was sent away from Cameroon's camp in Qatar, the Federation penned a letter to his then club in Ter Milan, detailing that he had been sent away for disciplinary reasons. This moved into settled world with some fans of the national team who felt that this was an internal issue which shouldn't have extended to his club. There was also a video of head coach Rigobert Song um, discussing with someone where he seems to narrate the incident that occurred in Qatar. But till date, Steve, fans have had only one version to the story, as since the Qatar incident, Andre Onana hasn't opened up on what really transpired, opting for cryptic social media posts such as the one that you highlighted or one-liners that often mention his disapproval to certain declarations made by the coach or federation authorities. Perhaps what he's referring to as manipulation is linked to this one-sided communication that doesn't necessarily highlight both sides of the story. Right. And otherwise, how are things for the Indomitable Lions looking going into Tuesday's game? Well, Steve, the first thing to note is that the Indomitable Lions will be playing away from the country's football temple the Amadou Ahija Stadium, a facility which I think you know very well, and a pitch where Cameron's men's team hasn't lost an official game since 1972. It is rather in Garwa, in the north of Cameroon, 1,108 kilometers from Yaoundé, that the game against Burundi will be played. Now, Garwa is the hometown of Indomitable Lions striker Vincent Abubakar, who since the start of the season has banked in five goals and two assists in nine games for Turkish side Besiktas. Like him, Brent's Fort's Brian Mbomo will be hoping to replicate club form to country. Now, the 24-year-old winger is the third highest goal scorer of the English Premier League, having scored four goals in four games. Like this too, Carl Toko Ekambi scored on his debut in the Saudi Pro League, while another winger, Brice Mumingamalo, who plays for Dynamo Moscow in Russia, has found the back of the net thrice and provided three assists in nine games. Coach Rigobert Song is surely thankful to the heavens that the crucial game against Burundi has come at a time when his players seem to be firing from all cylinders. Now, whether these players remain in red-hot form will be down to Rigobert Song's coaching wit. However, Steve, fans of the Indomitable Lions are optimistic. You see, since the construction of the Rumdea Jazz Stadium in Garwa in 1978, no Cameroonian national selection has lost a game there. 
We're speaking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO in Yaoundé in Cameroon. The indomitable Lions need a draw at home to Burundi to qualify for next year's Africa Cup of Nations finals, the 2023 edition taking place in 2024 in Cote d'Ivoire in January and February. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter or X at Planet Sport FA. And our website is planetsport.tv. And in the blog section there, we've got something on the Women's World Cup called Being Human, Making Mistakes and Receiving Forgiveness. Now, that's a blog on England's star player Lauren James, stamping on Nigeria's Michelle Alozi. That's on our website, planetsport.tv, and you'll find that in the blog section. Well, this week on social media, we're asking, should there have been more African players nominated for the Ballon d'Or? Four African players are on the 30-man shortlist for the prestigious award. That's Nigeria's Victor Osimen, Mohamed Salah, Andre Anana, and Morocco goalkeeper Yassine Bonou. So do you think that there should have been more African players nominated? And if so, which players do you think have been missed out on that 30-man list? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Should there have been more African players nominated for the Ballon d'Or award? Well, let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. No English Premier League action this weekend, as is an international break with the AFCON qualifiers. Also qualifiers in Europe, South America and elsewhere around the world. Uh, but in the English Premier League last weekend, Stuart, uh, what a win for Arsenal over Manchester United in a thrilling game. Well, Steve, the Arsenal Man U game certainly lived up to expectation, ending in a 3-1 win for the Gunners. That the two decisive goals came in the 96th and the 101st minute is just what we've come to expect this season. Sadly, the game will be remembered as much for controversy as brilliant football. With two minutes to go, 1-1, Garnacho ran onto a pass, slid the ball into the net to win the game for Manchester United, only for VAR to rule it out by the most marginal offside. Rice, the new 100 million dollar signing scored for Arsenal what proved to be the winning goal it was a deflected shot following a corner Eric Ten Hag was incensed with VAR arguing that Ganaccio to him had looked onside and felt that Johnny Evans was being held and therefore prevented from trying to tackle Rice as he got a shot in I find it really frustrating that we're talking about VAR rather than the football. I have some sympathy for Ten Hag that VAR does seem more happy to intervene and overrule on-field officials for an offside, which is at best absolutely marginal, yet reluctant to intervene, where there does seem to be clear fouls being committed by defenders in the penalty area. Steve, You and I try to be fair and unbiased in our reporting, but I have to say that I was absolutely delighted to see Nottingham Forest go to Chelsea and win 1-0. Not because I support Forest, not because I dislike Chelsea, but just because of what has happened in the last year. Nottingham Forest, promoted a season ago, struggled all last season, remained faithful to manager Steve Cooper, Chelsea, on the other hand, have had four different managers during that period. 
They have spent more than a billion dollars on this at 23 new players, yet Forrest win the game. And the goal was scored by Anthony Elanga, Swedish but with a Cameroonian international player as a father. And then there's Brighton, who struggled to hold on to their best players with Middle East money aplenty. And yet it's an 18-year-old, Evan Ferguson, who scores three goals as Brighton win 3-1. How do Brighton keep finding these young players? And incidentally, Steve, I know you'd want to know this, Ferguson was the youngest player to score a Premier League hat-trick since Michael Owen in 1998, and Owen went on to score 150. But seriously, it's worrying times for Newcastle. Fourth in the league last year, and they've lost three out of four games this season. A strange statistic, Manchester City at home to Fulham had only seven attempts on goal in the whole game, but no worries since they scored five of them. Last season we talked a bit about Tottenham's Song Hu Min having a disappointing season, only scoring 10 goals compared to 23 and 17 in his two previous seasons. Well, the new Tottenham captain scored three as Spurs came from behind to beat Burnley 5-2. Sheffield United drew with Everton, leaving both clubs in the bottom four, but spare a thought for poor old Everton goalkeeper Jordan Pickford who dived to save a shot which just eluded him, struck the post and rebounded, hitting his back and going into the net. But the bottom of the table still looks ominous for the promoted clubs, with Luton and Burnley without a point, Sheffield United, Everton and Bournemouth without a win so far. Those five clubs look to me to be in trouble. Yes, and not looking good for those uh, early on. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Well, Steve, the Champions League proper starts on the 19th of September and we now know the 32 clubs which will be involved. Bayern Munich have been drawn with Manchester United, that should be a cracker, Copenhagen and Galatasaray. Some people see this as Harry Kane playing for the club he chose, Bayern, against the club he rejected, Manchester United. Holders Real Madrid, drawn with Napoli, Braga, Union Berlin, Newcastle United in their first ever Champions League. My goodness me, they have got a tough group. Paris Saint-Germain, AC Milan and the German club Dortmund. We'll talk a lot more about the Champions League as it gets underway. But I do have some good news for you, Steve. UEFA has said it will not be encouraging referees to increase the amount of stoppage time in Champions League games this season. Thank goodness for that. We spoke a week or two ago about Mason Greenwood, Manchester United's decision that he would not play for them again because of the allegations uh, against him in terms of behaviour with women. He's now gone on loan to Hetafe in Spain. That's a club in the southern suburbs of Madrid, uh, currently in the bottom half of La Liga. And with the international break, Hetafe's next game is on the 17th of September. It'll be interesting to see how quickly he settles down and what he can do. Steve, I need to tell you about Calgary, the Italian club, promoted to Serie A last season to the delight of their 71-year-old manager, Claudio Ranieri. Chelsea, Leicester City, Fulham, Watford, clubs in France, clubs in Spain, Greece, eight Italian clubs, This is Ranieri's 22nd managerial job. 
great to see him still going and still enjoying it. And talking of Italian managers, Roberto Mancini, who was at Manchester City for four years and then the Italian national coach for six years, has now signed a contract to manage the national team of Saudi Arabia. And actually, talking about Saudi Arabia, we've noted several times the impact they're having on European leagues. And we understand that they are planning a bid to host the 2034 World Cup. Now, I think there's going to be significant opposition from the major football nations of the world, particularly as some FIFA officials admitted that holding the World Cup in Qatar had been a mistake. I think one of the reasons that the 2010 and 2014 World Cups, Steve, that you and I were both privileged to attend in South Africa and Brazil, why they were so successful was the number of international fans present. And that will happen to a much lesser degree, as it did in Qatar, because the country is not a popular travel destination. And also, holding the World Cup in December was disastrous for European football. And European nations will not be inclined to support that again. And frankly, I don't take seriously Saudi Arabia's claim that they could stay to the World Cup in midsummer. Utterly unrealistic. We'll certainly be following that story. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.